Welcome to the Cancer Care Connect workshop. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. During the workshop, you will hear from our panel of expert speakers. We will allow time for questions and comments following the presentation. Instructions will be given at that time. If anyone should require assistance during the workshop, please press star then zero on your touchtone telephone. As a reminder, this workshop is being recorded. I would like to introduce your moderator for today's workshop, Dr. Carolyn Messner, Senior Director of Education and Training at Cancer Care. Please go ahead. Oh, thank you so much, Regina, and I too would like to welcome everyone to today's workshop, Metastatic Triple Negative Breast Cancer for Caregivers Coping with Your Loved One's Triple Negative Breast Cancer. And this is part two of Living with Metastatic Triple Negative Breast Cancer. And today's program is made possible by the Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation, an independent grant from Merck and Company, Inc., and Gilead. And I really want to thank them for their support, and particularly the Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation, who really has helped to fund a number of these programs um, with, with both um, um, Merck and Gilead as supporters as well. Um, now, I do want to identify for all of you that there are over 300 people on the call today, so you're a large group, and most of you are from the United States, from both urban, rural, suburban, and frontier communities. And we also have international participants from Algeria, Canada, Ghana, India, Italy, Kenya, Laos, Portugal, New Zealand, and the United Kingdom. So it's really a credit to you that you're choosing to spend this next hour with us. And now it's my pleasure to introduce our first speaker. And our first speaker is Dr. Wade Smith. And Dr. Smith is a breast cancer specialist, assistant clinical professor, Department of Medical Oncology and Therapeutics Research, City of Hope, Newport Beach, California. And Dr. Smith will be addressing an overview of metastatic triple negative breast cancer in the context of COVID, seasonal flu, and RSV. Caregiving for your loved one with living with triple negative breast cancer the important role of the caregiver in communicating with the healthcare team and in shared decision-making. Guidelines to prepare for telehealth, telemedicine appointments, including prepared list of questions, follow-up appointments, and discussion of open notes. It's really my great pleasure now to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Dr. Smith. Thank you, Dr. Masner. Um, I'm happy to be here and presenting as part of this uh, cancer care workshop. Um, it's obviously a very important topic. Um, as, a, as a medical oncologist focused on breast cancer, uh, I, I routine, routinely see and treat many patients with triple negative breast cancer in the metastatic setting. And so um, I'm happy to kind of over, go over some of this, this overview. Um, you know, one question asked, you know, when, it, when I first see patients um, and we're about to, you know, go over the, the care plan, Vaccination status is very important. So I do tell patients, oftentimes, you know, they've just been diagnosed, they haven't begun treatment, uh, to go ahead and, and uh, make sure that they are updated with regard to their vaccinations, which includes obviously seasonal influenza. Every year they should have it. Um, in addition to that, they should uh, be fully vaccinated with respect to COVID, and the CDC recommends that three vaccine doses are, you know, recommended, and, you know, one of them should be the updated mRNA 2023-2024 um, vaccine, either the Moderna or the Pfizer, that just, you know just came out in September, and um, and so um, so that that we we recommend. I also you know recommend that they're um, vaccinated with regard to pneumonia, uh, pneumococcal vaccination, and um, a question was also raised about RSV, and uh, I, I think that that's important also. You know, these are all kind of, um, these are obviously non-live vaccines. These are, you know, um, inactivated vaccines that, um, you know, ideally are given, um, if they're to be given, you know, two weeks before on average uh, receiving chemotherapy. But there's even some data to suggest that, you know, vaccines can be administered even up to, you know, one week after starting chemotherapy. And if need be, even, you know, during chemotherapy. Again, we're talking about, Patients who have been diagnosed with a triple negative metastatic breast cancer, they're likely going to be on some form of immune suppression therapy, you know, for, for several ongoing months. And so just to make sure that they get their, their vaccination um, updated um, at, at, you know, any point as early as possible is, you know, recommended. And so, um, so again, RSV, you know, that, that's largely for adults 60 and older. I think that, you know, again, uh, probably good to get 
um, if, if uh, and again, the timeline, as I mentioned, uh, with regard to that vaccine as well as the others. So, you know, moving on to care, caregiver talking points, I think there's probably nothing more important than the patient, you know, presenting with somebody there with them. And ideally, it's going to be the person that's going to be, you know, central within their team. And that can be family, it can be friends. And um, we really like here, you know, at, at City of Hope, you know, we, we, we fortunately have, you know, a, a ample resources, but it really there's no substitution for having, you know, a spouse, a, a, a sibling, or even a non-family member, a neighbor, um, anybody who, who's going to be ideally checking in on the patient the most frequently. And, um, you know, having the caregiver involved at time of diagnosis, you know, helps to prevent that patient with a sense of calm. You know, that's going to be the person they're going to really rely on. And, um, and you know, we, we kind of, we, we open up the conversation about all aspects of care and lifestyle, um, you know, in terms of nutrition, activity, you know, um, making sure that the home is set up in a, in a safe way so that everything available is needed. You know, caregivers play this, you know, really essential, important role. And, um, you know, for instance, we have them, you know, try to participate in, in as many medical, you know, office follow-up visits as possible. They, um, you know, and again, a key role is to provide a sense of calm, to reduce anxiety. Uh, this is, you know, obviously when, you, when a patient comes in um, with a new diagnosis of advanced, you know, breast cancer, particularly triple negative breast cancer that patients read about, and, um, you know, they, they understand that it's, it's, a, tr it's a, a subset of breast cancer that really does require treatment in order to bring it under control. There's a lot of associated anxiety, and so having that familiarity is important. Caregivers provide that second set of ears. Patients really do come in often like a deer in the headlights. They're only hearing maybe every third word you're telling them, and they're only going to retain about 50% of that. So having somebody there either with a laptop, a pad, something to write everything down as necessary or to record, I'm open to having patients record, and you can ask that question, um, is, I think, essential. And so take notes. Take notes is important. And, um, you know, they can, caregivers can provide additional information that patients forget to give um, that's always important. It can give just a different, a different vantage point, a different, you know, insight into the patient's life that the patient might not be, you know, really forthcoming about. And um, so asking questions on the patient's behalf and speaking up and asking the hard questions. Patients often are kind of timid and, you know, they, they really can be that squeaky wheel, you know, to really make sure the patient's getting all the information that they need. And um, I include the, the caregivers in the decision-making so that, you know, it, it really is kind of a, a very kind of didactic interaction um, so that we really just get all the information out in front of all of us. And, um, and so, um, so, yeah, I, you know, I think that one other point to bring up is I think it's just also important to, you know, watch for the caregiver themselves. You know, there can be caregiver fatigue. And, you know, I'd, I'd like to learn a little bit about the caregiver who's there and, you know, what maybe you can kind of get a sense of maybe some other burdens. Maybe they have their own um, health challenges that they're having to, to cope with. And so, you know, we, we offer resources to spouses and to family members and, um, and also just kind of, um, you know, helps, helps us to, to help navigate the, the whole of the team. Talking a little bit about telehealth appointments, um, you know, ever since COVID, everything transitioned and kind of remains largely transitioned to telehealth delivery. And so I think that, you know, caregivers certainly play a, a really important role. And, you know, some of the questions, you know, that, that patients forget to ask, you know, what about work? What about time off? You know, um, do, I, do I need to take complete work leave? Um, what, what sorts of assistance do I need at home? What sorts of, you know, transportation assistance do I need? You know, do I, you know, and then with respect to the actual care plan, you know, do, do I benefit or qualify for a clinical trial? You know, at first line metastatic breast cancer opportunities also often include a discussion about clinical trials, particularly if it's a, a you know, a, a variant of triple negative breast cancer like metaplastic breast cancer that, you know, may be a, a more of a challenge to treat and we may be looking for more of a, of a novel treatment approach that could include a novel investigational agent. And so, um, so, you know, all these questions can be answered, you know, the visitor policy when the patients are here receiving treatment, um, you know, the same questions that are asked, you know, in the office can be asked in a, in a telehealth format. And then, um, you know, arranging follow-up appointments, making sure that 
there's a chemotherapy teaching appointment that's going to be made either virtually, virtually or in office. Patients might need an intravenous catheter placement. They might need to meet with a genetic counselor, meet with a nutritionist, a supportive medicine specialist or pain specialist. Uh, they'll need help, you know, scheduling their imaging appointments. And, um, you know, something also is, is, is a trend now is open notes, and that's really kind of a, a national movement. It's, um, you know, funded publicly and privately. It basically increases the transparency. It allows basically patients to see their and have access to their electronic rec records, you know, office notes, physician notes. You know, I think that that can be that can be help. It can also be a little bit of um, a hindrance. You know, patients can, you know, really dive in and 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 kind of in some sense overabsorb. And I think that you know I would just caution caregivers about that. You know, I think um, you know it's I, I think it. It helps to I think keep that in in perspective because you know when the patient is there seeing the doctor, I think part of it is you you kind of trust the provider to kind of navigate the time spent during that visit, and sometimes I do have the occasional patient who really kind of overloads on what they're reading, and it does kind of eat into the time of the office visit. So I think as a caregiver, you you know one one thought with regard to open notes is and acts, you know, talking about, you know, notes and, and imaging reports is really, I think, trying to um, manage expectations and, and allowing the, the care provider to, to kind of take the directive in, in hitting what's important during that visit. And then a little bit on long-distance caregiver, you know, I think especially with telehealth opportunity, a lot of patients, you know, may be living alone and they really rely on that family member who lives out of state or maybe overseas and um, sometimes it's a, it's, it's a language and they don't want to use a professional interpreter. They'd rather use, you know, their overseas family member. So I think, you know, there's a lot of different um, um, aspects of that, and we will hear more about that, and I can follow up on that at the end of the discussion also. Um, but um, I don't want to run too much over. I think um, we can – I don't know if I have any time left or if we should pass on to the next speaker. Um, thank you so much. Did you want to say anything else, Dr. Smith? Did you – are you – um, yeah, no, I, I think that, um, you know, again, the, the, I think the more caregivers, the better. I think one is good. I think, you know, we, uh, if we'll allow for two or three in, um, during the time of the visit, and I think it's particularly during the first visit. And then usually there's somebody who, who becomes the identified, um, you know, point, point caregiver. But I think involving as, as, as many people who want to be involved and you think will be helpful is a benefit. Well, thank you. This has been a wonderful, it's been a wonderful um, stellar presentation. I have to say, it sets the tone for today's entire program, sets the stage for it. I know there'll be questions to you, lots of questions to you during the Q and A. So, thank you so much. Thank you. And our next speaker is Ms. Nina Kapoor Hinson. Ms. Hinson is a supportive care nurse practitioner, advanced practice provider manager supportive care, geriatric oncology, and integrative medicine, Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center. And Ms. Kapoor Hinson will be addressing taking on the role of, the care, of caregiving, what research tells us about caregivers, challenges in communicating with the healthcare team, and coping with each day on special occasions, holidays, and birthdays. It's really my great pleasure now to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Ms. Kapoor Hinson. Thank you, Dr. Mesner, for inviting me to speak. Um, it's my pleasure to be here today. Um, and thank you, Dr. Smith, for that excellent um, overview. So I'll start with, you know, when you're taking on the role of caregiving. What is important to know um, when taking on a caregiver, caregiving role is first, you're not alone. Um, there are over 50 million people providing informal care to loved ones in the United States. But specifically with cancer, um, which is a condition that causes, you know, many physical, psychological, and social challenges for patients and their loved ones from the time of diagnosis and throughout the cancer journey, informal caregivers are a fundamental source of support um, and, and really integral um, to the, their, uh, the positive outcomes for, for their loved ones um, who are patients. There are many positive aspects of caregiving, including getting a sense of fulfillment, establishment of extended social networks, and most importantly, learning more about yourself, your loved one, and enhancing the meaning in both of your lives. It's also important to acknowledge that in addition to these uh, benefits, caregiving can take a toll on individual caregivers. 
So attending to your own needs is really crucial. Informal caregiving has been associated with depression and anxiety and worse self-reported physical health. Caregiving may also contribute to financial strain from missing work, uh, for medical appointments, and or the cost of other medical expenses. Juggling significant familial and professional responsibilities can hinder a caregiver's ability to work. So attention to self-care, planning for challenges, and being knowledgeable about what resources are available to help you ensure that you are in the best position to effectively care for your loved one and also for yourself. You should prioritize getting enough rest, engaging in regular physical activity, taking care of your own preventative and existing medical needs, and acknowledging and attending to your emotional health. Consider your options for peer support and other support sources of psychological support. Take well-being days for yourself. Consider taking a caregiver training course, which may be offered through local chapters of the American Red Cross or other nonprofit organizations. Sometimes Medicare and Medicaid will even cover the cost of such a training. And ask your employer about resources and benefits for caregivers, including flexible work arrangements, workplace accommodations, wellness benefits, and intermittent or continuous leaves of absence with job protection. Be knowledgeable about legal protections for caregivers at the workplace. Now I'll shift to what research tells us about caregivers. So as, just for a definition, caregivers are defined as individuals who provide care, typically uncompensated and usually in the home. It involves significant amounts of time and energy for months or years. It requires the performance of tasks that may be physically, emotionally, socially, or as I said before, financially demanding. The nature of cancer caregiving is distinguished from caregiving for other chronic health conditions in that cancer caregivers may spend more hours per day providing care, they may provide more intense care over shorter periods of time, and they're often more likely to incur out-of-pocket expenses um, more so than um, caregivers of individuals with other chronic illnesses. Cancer patients experience more variability in their symptoms and toxicities from different, often multimodal therapies than do um, individuals with other chronic illnesses. And that necessitates that caregivers monitor the patient's health status frequently and use a variety of technical and psychosocial skills to promote that patient's health. Additionally, the healthcare system is providing more complex, complex treatment regimens, which require intensive decision-making. The system is also moving towards more care being provided at outpatient centers or at home. All of these features can increase the day-to-day -day demands on informal caregivers who may lack the information, support, and self-confidence to perform all necessary tasks. Not all cancer patients will need a lot from their caregivers. Um, however, no matter how intensive the caregiving needs are, just having a loved one with cancer can have major effects on the caregiver. Um, the virtually universal concerns about disease recurrence and the pattern of progression are unique hallmarks of cancer and are stressful for the patient and family alike. How patients are faring affects caregivers and how caregivers are faring affects patients. And it's important that the role and needs of caregivers are not overlooked by the healthcare system. So Dr. Smith talked a little bit about communicating with the healthcare team and the important role of caregivers. Um, there can be challenges when communicating with your healthcare team. Um, and communicating effectively with the healthcare team is really an, one of the most important strategies to ensure best outcomes. Barriers to this include lack of knowledge about the disease, treatments, and side effects um, that may um, impact uh, reporting of something when, when it should be reported, um, not having a consistent point of contact with the healthcare team, not knowing what res resources are available to you so you can advocate for them, um, language and cultural barriers. There can be technology barriers um, in terms of electronic communication um, and, and uh, uh, reaching healthcare teams in that way. And also fear and anxiety limiting what you may want to ask um, a member of the healthcare team. So some tips for effective communication. Learn about your loved one's disease and, and uh, health, the treatments they're getting, and available caregiving resources. This will help you understand what's going on, anticipate the course of an illness, prevent crises, and assist in healthcare management. 
consider establishing and maintaining a care plan. This is um, an invaluable tool that saves time and optimizes care for a loved one. It would include health conditions, um, medications, healthcare providers, emergency contacts, and caregiver resources. The CDC, or Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, has a caregiving care plan template on their website that you can fill in directly and print out. Organize important paperwork in one place and provide copies to other caregivers. Um, this may include up-to-date health care documents, um, any financial information, wills, etc. Uh, stay connected, so attend visits with you know, um, uh, your loved one, schedule calls um, to discuss your loved one's well-being on a regular basis with the healthcare team, and to the extent possible, one person should handle conversations with healthcare providers. Um, it's uh, important to, that this person have written permission to receive that medical information and that uh, one person can update uh, family members. If you are experiencing challenges that are impacting communication, Talk with them openly with the healthcare team. They can help you strategize on how to um, uh, mitigate some of those challenges. So finally, I'll move on to coping uh, each day and then also on special occasions. So as mentioned before, coping while caring for a loved one with cancer can be a challenge regardless of the clinical status of the patient or the amount of caregiving needs. Being aware of how you're coping and identifying resources to help you are important. Self-care strategies for every day include um, seeking out counseling support, which can be provided through various venues. You can choose the support that's right for you. Support can be provided by a social worker, a psychologist, support group, spiritual advisors, and peers, among others. Physical activity is a really important um, uh, uh, mechanism for helping to reduce stress. Getting adequate sleep and rest is also incredibly important. I mentioned before taking a well-being day for some respite from your caregiving responsibilities can be very helpful. And then also engaging in things that you enjoy and hobbies um, are uh, great ways to uh, help with coping day to day. On special occasions like birthdays and holidays, coping can be more challenging. These are generally times of joy, however, for patients and loved ones who are facing cancer, there can be feelings of anxiety or sadness that occur surrounding multiple things. There may be an altered uh, ability to prepare for or engage in the festivities. So a loss of what you know you were able to, uh, uh, a loved one was able to do um, uh, previously. There may be sadness surrounding worry about the person missing future occasions. Strategies to help cope include, first and foremost, acknowledging your feelings. They are normal and appropriate. Lean on your sources of counsel to help you cope. Reset your expectations and activities to meet what you and your loved one are currently able to do. There's no right or wrong here, and it's okay to set those limits within what you're able to do. And lastly, try and be present in and enjoy that special moment or an occasion so you can make wonderful memories um, moving forward. Um, this uh, ensuring that you are um, giving yourself room to to feel the joy in that holiday, that special occasion, that moment um, is really impactful and important for moving forward. So I'll stop there, Dr. Messner, um, and uh, shift over to the next um, speaker. Oh, thank you so much, Ms. Kapoor. That was excellent, really, um, just an excellent presentation and. Um, I know there'll be questions for you during the Q&A and lots of really helpful tips for caregivers, so I can't thank you enough. Thank you. Um, and our next speaker is Dr. Uh, Guadalupe Palos. And Dr. Palos is former Clinical Protocol Administration Manager, Office of Cancer Survivorship, the University of Texas, MD Anderson Cancer Center. She's an author and, and researcher in healthcare disparities, caregiving, and survivorship. And Dr. Palos will be addressing managing family and friends, the role of a long-distance caregiver, and self-care and stress management tips and recommendations, and strategies to manage the stress of caregiving. It's really my great pleasure now to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, uh, Dr. Palos. 
Thank you, Carolyn, for the opportunity to be involved in this discussion of caregiving. Uh, it's a topic that affects and involves the entire family. And it's particularly fitting to have this teleconference in November since the Caregiver Action Network has designated this month as National Family Caregiver Month. So kudos to Cancer Care and the other organizations who coordinated this during this month. Dr. Smith and Ms. Kapoor Henson gave an excellent overview on the critical role of caregivers and how they are so important throughout the journey of their loved one's um, cancer experience. Being an oncology nurse, a social worker, and a family caregiver for aunts, uncles, friends, and sisters has given me an understanding of cancer's impact on both the person living with cancer and the person who cares for them. Self-care is critical when caregivers deal with uh, long-distance caregiving and holiday uh, celebrations. And we heard a good, uh, a lot of good information given by, uh, by Ms. Kapoor Henson, but I'll give a little bit more information on tips for self-care in just a moment. I'd like to begin by describing long-distance caregiving. For our discussion today, I'd like to propose a simple definition of a long-distance caregiver. Uh, this was put out by the National Council on Aging. It is a person who lives an hour or more away from a loved one who needs care. So if you live in a big city like Houston or New York or Los Angeles, then yes, you're probably living in the same area, different zip codes and more than an hour's drive away. But in, if you live in different countries, across oceans, across borders, then also that qualifies you as a long-distance uh, caregiver. So I'm, I'm very positive many of you listening on this call know exactly what I'm talking about. You are a long-distance caregiver. In that role, you have a unique set of circumstances, but with preparation, planning, and preventive action, this experience can be a perfect opportunity to find new strengths, skills, and perspectives about your experience. And I'll briefly address these areas in my discussion. I'm also going to touch on the importance of how family and friends can be a source of support and strength when given an opportunity. And then I'll finish up by giving some or sharing some tips and strategies to manage uh, the stress of caregiving and the significant role self-care has in the caregiving experience. Those of you who are caregivers knows how complex the care can be, and you have to fill many different roles as you provide the care. You may work full-time and care for a family. You may have more than one person that you're being a caregiver. Maybe a, a, an aging parent lives with you. Maybe you have a child who has a chronic disease, or maybe you yourself have some kind of chronic disease going on. So you know that it is a multiple, it's a multidimensional experience, and it's very subjective. So... There is no doubt that distance poses a barrier to caregiving, but there's growing evidence that even those who are long-distance caregivers can provide essential support to their loved ones. Long-distance caregivers provide advice, financial support, help with decision-making, and are critical in providing help during a crisis. So as I mentioned earlier, being a caregiver to a loved one is a multidimensional and subjective journey. But remember, it is in fact your own unique lived experience. You are the one that's going through the challenges and the triumphs of being a caregiver every day for as long as you're a caregiver. Previous research and caregiving seemed to focus more on the negative aspects of this experience. Re uh, thankfully, recent studies have focused on the rewards of positive um, caregiving. So being a long-distance caregiver can be challenging. Oftentimes, there may be feelings of frustration or guilt. For instance, there can be thoughts, of, oh, gosh, I'm not doing enough. Perhaps there's a fear or uncertainty about the changes in their loved one's physical and mental health and many other similar thoughts. So the combination of these thoughts contribute to the stress and distress of the long-distance caregiver. In addition to these feelings, the roles and responsibilities of the caregiver will change throughout the cancer experience, right? So it's not surprising that as these roles change, the emotional and physical health of the long-distance caregiver will also change, or of any caregiver, in fact. And a caregiver may find themselves often wishing others would help. So very briefly, I'll go through those rewards and stressors. So studies conducted with caregivers of patients living with cancer have found basically four types of benefits. There's many, many. I'm just going to mention these. An accepting, a more accepting attitude toward life, 
positive changes in how they view themselves, changes in their relationships with others, and a more profound sense of purpose in life. So it does, it seems that people become more reflective, more insightful, more patient. They discover they have new strengths and talents that they didn't think they had or they didn't want to bother with before. So again, finding benefits when one faces stressful events is important because it can help you as a caregiver or even as the person living with cancer to integrate negative experiences into your world meaningfully. It can also help people enhance their coping skills. So briefly, let's talk about some of the stressors, and you heard about some of it already. So again, um, there's evidence that there are three challenges associated with cancer caregiving for both men and women that I'm going to highlight today, three, such as neglect of self, again, changes in the relationship with the person living with cancer. So those changes in relationships can be positive or negative. And then the consequences on the caregiver's physical and psychological health, health, and that can include uh, problems such as fatigue, uh, sleep problems, uh, not being able to eat, loss of appetite, too much appetite. So there are different types of, of physical as well as emotional changes for a person. So a stressor can even come from something really simple, such as maybe a retired sister uh, who's quit driving now has to learn how to drive all over again. Or a man who you know, was used to having his wife take care of all the domestic types of responsibilities, now they're the one learning how to cook and clean and wash. These types of activities are outside the usual roles. And learning the new roles can be a source of distress for the caregiver. So there's no doubt that being a, care, a cancer caregiver puts one on the roller coaster of emotions. And that's normal. And it's essential to realize that when that stress becomes overwhelming, finding ways to deal with it is helpful. And Ms. Dinnerman and Ms. Smith will provide resources to help with those concerns. So many caregivers often ask, how can I involve other family members, friends, and neighbors in the caregiving experience? This can be particularly challenging because of the chronicity of cancer. We find that caregivers often have more support during the initial phase as when one is initially diagnosed with cancer and is going through treatment. However, that support often lessens or disappears completely as the disease lingers. And that is when the caregiver is apt to feel the ex extensive burden of being a caregiver. So what are some of the steps that may include to include your family and friends? Well, first of all, assess your circle of support. If needed, widen that circle. Ask neighbors, people from your place of worship, or even from local community centers for help. It's normal to feel reluctant or embarrassed about asking for help, but stay focused on your goal, increasing your support circle for caregiving. One of the things I ask my families to do with the patient as well as the caregiver, it's kind of a family event or a family meeting, is to sit down and just write down the names of people you know, and then after that, you can kind of look through that list because you, you know, everyone has some kind of names. They're not all going to be the same, so it's different. And then just start you know, asking, okay, which one of these would be most likely to that I could feel comfortable approaching? And then you kind of you know, prioritize that. You start off with the ones that you know are going to really be willing to help, and then the ones that you feel maybe not, go ahead and ask them. It's, I think once people, people want to help, and so once they're asked to do it, then they're willing to do it. And it's, you know, it's a good time to include your parents, your grandparents, your siblings, friends. Again, people want to help and when asked will you know, step up to the plate. I do want to remind folks that when you ask a friend or a family member to be helping you during these tasks, it becomes a covenant almost between you and the individual that you ask. So treat it as such. Let people know the importance of their role as a member of that circle and how much you depend on them. Remember, if you take this bond seriously, so will they. And I can't say this enough because I know how reluctant people are to ask for help. Never forget people like to help. And if given a chance to help, most likely they'll say yes. 
This expanded network or circle of caregivers will help you, the caregiver, to lessen your caregiver burden. And in the long run, the long run, the patient will also benefit because they'll have a happier and healthier caregiver and other folks to interact with. So I just like to give you a few more, a uh, couple of more things to remember. And this is more focused on your own self-care. Do not forget to continue your preventive care activities, such as going in for your screening for cardiac, cancer, or other chronic diseases. You have to take care of your health. Don't just let it sit on the side and then, you know, let things pile up unexpectedly. You could also ask, and I, and I believe one of our previous speakers brought this up, ask about clinical trials that your loved one may benefit from. If your providers don't mention one or don't ask, be proactive and ask if there are any available to you. You know, there's even studies, a few studies, specifically available for caregivers, such as the one um, that I conducted from the NCI. So, again, clinical trials are important, and you're giving a lot of valuable information to researchers as well, to uh, patients and, and their family members. Encourage yourself as a caregiver, whether close or long distance, to make the time for self-care. That will help maintain your own physical and emotional wellness and needs. Another thing I'd like to remind folks, be kind with yourself and patient with yourself. A lot of the times we get frustrated with ourselves. We get feeling guilty. Was even angry. Gosh, I should have known that. Oh, I should have recognized. I should have prevented that from happening. No, you think of all the balls you're juggling in the air. So when things like that happen, just be kind to yourself and be patient, and then move on to the next thing that you have to do. Remind yourself that by caring for your own health, you and the person you're caring for will reap the benefits of being a healthy caregiver, even if it may be across the freeways, mountains, and the oceans. My colleagues and I look forward to hearing from you and the suggestions you may have for caregivers or those they care for. Thank you for allowing me to share these thoughts with you. Carolyn, this concludes, Dr. Messner, excuse me, this concludes my remarks, and I'll turn the program back to you. Thank you. Oh, thank you so much, Dr. Palos. That was really outstanding. And indeed, for the question and answer period, if some of you have suggestions um, that you'd like to make that work for you, please do post them on the Q&A, and we'll be sure to read them, because we definitely want to hear from you as well. Um, you may also have suggestions for people. So thank you so much, Dr. Paulos. And I know there'll be questions for you. It's an excellent presentation. And I know there'll be questions for you during the Q&A as well. And our next speaker is Ms. Haley Dinneman. And Ms. Dinneman is co-founder and ed executive director of the Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation. Um, and she has really um, developed the Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation for many, many years. It's a great resource for all of you on the call. Um, and she'll be talking about the breast cancer, the Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation's free programs, and she'll mention the helpline as well as their website. It's my pleasure now to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Ms. Dinneman. Thank you so much, Carolyn. Thank you also to my fellow presenters. Your presentations were so informative, and of course, to all of you listening today. This teleconference is one of many programs offered by the Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation. We have many TNBC-specific educational brochures and fact sheets that are available in print and as free downloads from our website. Like all our educational materials, these brochures have special sections addressing issues of particular importance to those of you living with or caregiving for those with metastatic disease. We work hard to make sure that you can find relevant information and practical guidance in all of our materials, so I hope you'll use them to your benefit. Dr. Palos mentioned the importance of clinical trials and how caregivers can play a part in finding appropriate trials for their loved ones. Our website, tnbcfoundation.org, offers two free and TNBC-specific clinical trials matching services that are much easier to navigate, we're told, than other portals. Our website also has a TNBC news section and online discussion forums. Our other online resources include two private TNBC Foundation Facebook groups, so you can easily connect with thousands of women who are living with TNBC, um, and these resources are here to help you and to remind you that you are not alone. 
Um, and uh, additionally, we have a number of monthly Zoom meetups for our TNBC community. Metastatic Mondays, Tuesdays with TNBC Friends, and Thriver Thursdays. Caregivers are always welcome on these Zooms, and they give you regular opportunities to connect with other caregivers and with the foundation itself. I'd also like to invite you to join us this December for our Live from SABCS program. We will be at the San Antonio Breast Cancer Symposium to bring you information about new and emerging TNBC research. If you follow us on Facebook, Instagram, X, or visit our website, you'll get regular updates and be able to register for these and all of our other upcoming programs. So once again, thank you for joining us, and now I'll turn our program back to Dr. Messner. Oh, thank you so much, um, Ms. Dinnerman. That was a wonderful presentation and just such a wonderful resource for all of the participants. So some of you are familiar with the Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation, and if you're not, we're going to be sending all of you a SurveyMonkey evaluation, um, which is an evaluation of the program, but it will also include any of the links, telephone numbers that we provide. We'll certainly provide heavily the information of the Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation as a great resource for you. It's a free resource, and it's one that you definitely want to take advantage of. And our next speaker is Ms. Dina Smith. She's an oncology social worker, and she's our caregiver program coordinator at Cancer Care. And she is going to um, address more about the long-distance caregiver and then the Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation's free services, including Triple Negative um, uh, Breast Cancer Helpline, clinical trials, and other supportive resources. And she'll also be giving you all the information about the helpline and the website and um, how to email them as well. So it's my pleasure now to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Ms. Smith. Thank you, Dr. Messner. Um, as Dr. Messner mentioned, my name is Dina Smith, and I am the Caregiver Program Coordinator and Oncology Social Worker at Cancer Care. So as the Caregiver Program Coordinator, it is my job to ensure that all cancer provided the resources and services that they need. This includes caregivers who live with the cancer patient, as well as those who may live in a different town, state, or even country. Caregiving for a loved one who has metastatic triple negative breast cancer is emotionally and physically tolling, especially when caregiving long distance. However, there are various ways in which you can still provide support. I encourage you to have a conversation with your loved one about what they need. Perhaps this means setting up their medical appointments for transportation to and from treatment. You can also act as an additional support in the medical provider's office by listening into the conversation via telephone or FaceTime or, as Dr. Smith mentioned, a conversation as well. Maybe your loved one doesn't need additional medical support, but instead needs you to set up meal delivery or respite care through websites like MealTrain, MyCancerCircle, or Lots of Helping Hands. And if you are still unsure about how to help your loved one, I encourage you to visit the Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation's website, where there is an entire to helpful tips for caregivers. This includes how to be inf an informed caregiver, the caregiver, applying for financial assistance, how to provide emotional support as a caregiver, speaking to an oncology social worker, help. Asking for help is not only limited to your loved one's medical team, but to others who are in a similar position as yourself. The TNBCF website, as well as Cancer Care's online support group platform, both offer forums where you can seek support from other caregivers, which can significantly help decrease anxiety of isolation. These platforms also provide help as other caregivers may be able to answer practical questions. If you are simply looking for answers to your I still encourage you to look at the Breast Cancer Foundation's website as well as Cancer. On both platforms, you can read about medical conference updates as well as latest treatment methods and information about triple negative breast cancer. Furthermore, as Ms. Dinneman mentioned, the TNBCF website has a clinical research trial matching service if you're interested in exploring new and emerging treatments specifically breast cancer patients. In addition, Cancer Care has recently partnered with an organization which can help you with clinical trial matching as well. If you are interested in speaking with a social worker and learning more about caregiving for your loved one, or even to inquire about the services offered, I invite you to call Cancer Care's Hopeline 800 
813-4673 or the Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation's helpline at 877-880-8622. And with that, I will turn it back to Dr. Messner. Oh, thank you so much, Ms. Um, Smith. That's an excellent presentation. Lots of resources, and um, and I know there'll be questions for you during the Q&A. Thank you so much. And now we're going to move right on to the Q&A. I'm going to ask Regina to explain to you how to um, uh, post your questions, and we'll take as many of your questions as possible. Regina? Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, at this time, we will take questions from the web only. You may submit questions by clicking Ask a Question. This is a question um, for Dr. Smith. How does the cancer patient deal with all the information they receive from professionals other than their doctors, like neuro naturopathic doctors, acupuncturists, et cetera? Uh, Dr. Um, Smith, could you address this question? Yep, happy to. That's a good question. Um, I think it's important uh, to really, I think, assign a quarterback, you know, a, a provider that you see that you connect with, and that's typically the medical oncologist, to um, to really kind of integrate and help to tease out what's what's important, what's going to be helpful, and what might be a distraction or what might interfere with a treatment that you're on. So, for instance, at our center, we actually have an integrative uh, medicine department as part of our supportive medicine, and so I, I, I tend to navigate patients in that direction uh, with providers that are knowledgeable about, you know, certain, you know, drug interactions and, um, and can kind of help guide them on, on the responsible path and not incur obviously toxicity, sometimes financial toxicity. You know, patients will get a lot of recommendations from family and friends, you need to be doing this, you need to be doing that, and they get pulled in different directions. They could be spending a lot of money and they could be overwhelming themselves. So I think it is important just to center it on, on your kind of trusted care provider, your oncologist typically, help them navigate. Excellent, thank you. And another question to you, Dr. Smith. Any information about using red and near-infrared light therapy for treating neuropathy? Um, that's a good question. I think I think that's being addressed at the investigational level. It's not um, found its way into standard of care, you know, treatment guidelines. Um, neuropathy can be a challenge, and most of the time, we're just forced with having to dose reduce or, or modify the regimen. Um, there's some other anecdotal experience uh, using other therapies, you know, uh, cold, you know, cryotherapies and things like that. Um, but I, I can't speak specifically on that other than I am aware it's being looked at. Um, we just don't have anything that's really been, you know, validated to the point we can put our confidence behind it. Excellent. Thank you. And another question for you, Dr. Smith. Um, while I was receiving Keytruda, the cancer returned, and I went from PD-1 positive to negative, is it possible to be positive again and be a candidate for Keytruda again? Well, I think kind of I can't really um, speak on your specific situation, but I think that you know typically um, I would look at typically a clinical trial. I think that if you've been through one line of immunochemotherapy and there's there's been progression, um, there certainly are clinical trials that look at combining immunotherapy with an agent that can kind of reinvigorate the immune system that can um, you know augment either a prior a previously received you know, medicine like pembrolizumab or um, other, other um, you know, immune checkpoint inhibitors or, you know, uh, something that uh, may be, you know, novel completely that has a different um, immune mechanism of action. So I would, I would point patients in the direction of clinical trials if, if they've already, you know, progressed on one and are, you know, and the provider is interested in maybe trying a second line of immunotherapy. Excellent. Thank you. And... Another question for you, where do you see the treatment of metastatic um, triple negative breast cancer in five years? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, a great question. I think, I think the future is, again, immunotherapy, as we talked about, immunochemotherapy, looking at immune checkpoint inhibitors, looking at other augmenters of the host immune system, and then targeted therapies, you know, as we can further molecularly classify triple negative breast cancers. And again, this is kind of a heterogeneous group of tumors. Um, we find, we learn more about potential driver mutations, um, and we can then hone um, targeted therapies towards towards 
this um, you know particular subtype of triple negative breast cancer. So um, again, I right now largely in early phase trials for patients that have progressed on you know two or three lines of, of chemotherapy. Um, but certainly, we're targeted therapy and immunotherapy is is the 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 future of uh, investigational research. Excellent, thank you. And a um, question for um, uh, for Dr. Um, Palos. My sister has triple negative breast cancer, and I've been her caregiver, but I have been feeling very burnt out. How can I continue to help my sister without feeling burned out? Oh, great question. I'm sure your sister is very appreciative of what you do. But sometimes it's just time to pull back and say, okay, what can I do to help myself, which is what you're expressing. So one of the first things you can do is just um, see if you feel comfortable with sharing that with someone. Uh, find a healthcare professional. If you're a little hesitant, you know, the cancer care has well-trained oncology social workers that you can call over the telephone and they will be able to counsel with you or give you advice or give you some tips. The other thing you can do is just take a breather. Just, you know, give yourself, get someone to come in or just let your sister, if she doesn't need, you know, round-the-clock care, let your sister know that you're going to go out, even if it's for an hour, and go out and do something for yourself. Walk around the block, go read a book, whatever your favorite thing is. Go to the museum just or just go and sit somewhere by yourself so you can have some peace and quiet. So there's also techniques that they've been uh, working with that they say helps a lot. One is mindfulness or meditation, and another is deep breathing. So you can do, you look on, you ask your healthcare provider, or you can ask friends, or you can look online uh, and look for credible sources of exercise uh, exercises that they have to help teach mindfulness and breathing. Very simple. You don't need a lot of equipment. You don't need a membership to anything. You just need your own body and your own mind to be able to relax. If you catch it early, these kinds of feelings early, then it will help because if you keep letting it go on and on, um, it's going to have a more severe impact on your health and then eventually on the ability to take care of your sister. So it's hard. I, I commend you for doing that, and I, I hope that information helps. Oh, thank you so much, Dr. Palos. And a question from Ms. Nina, Ms. Nina Kapoor-Henson. Um, my mother was recently diagnosed with triple negative breast cancer, and with the holidays coming, how can we make sure my mother has a good holiday and it is not stressed? Thank you for that question. Um, definitely, you know, a challenging um, uh, situation. Um, what I would suggest is just talking with your mom um, and and hearing what's important to her, um, who she wants uh, to be around, and also acknowledging what she is and is not able to do. Um, if she is maybe someone who um, is struggling with fatigue, um, maybe limiting the amount of time and the number of people who are around um, uh, for, a, you know, for a particular event uh, might be helpful. But really finding out what's important to her, who um, she wants to um, uh, be around her, and uh, trying to tailor the festivities to, to um, what's important to her. Um, it's important to know that really even if you can't make something very large or the way that it used to be, it can still be wonderful and memorable and, um, and, and enjoyable for her and for all of you. So just whatever, um, whatever feels right is okay. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, and um, this um, is a question um, for... Um, from Ms. Smith, um, as a psychologist in the psychosocial care for cancer patients, especially breast cancer, most cancer professionals do not inform their patients about breast cancers. Most cancer specialists do not inform their patients that the type of breast cancer they have, they suffer. Is it normal, and does each type of treatment have its own? Um, I think that's a, that's a great question. Um, so I would say that, um, you know, if the patient or even the caregiver feels like maybe they're um, 
you know, it's kind of a gray area in terms of their prognosis or their diagnosis or um, even if they're left with any questions relating to their diagnosis or treatment process, I always encourage them to speak with their medical provider, whether that's their oncologist, their nurse, nurse practitioner. Um, and if they're uh, not understanding how to have that conversation, um, you know, they can, number one, speak to one another, caregiver to patient, or they can also um, request to speak with the oncology social worker in the department um, about how to have that conversation because the social worker can guide them about how to bring it up, um, what helpful questions they should ask, um, and you know, alleviate their stress a little bit uh, with that conversation as well. Excellent. Um, and um, another question um, for um, another question about um, So this is a question for Dr. Palos. What are some ways I can help my mom while I am away at, in college? Uh, uh, that's a great question also. One of the things you can do is set up a plan ahead of time before you leave that both of you or your whole family can sit down and try to schedule a time and a day where you know you're going to be doing regular phone calls. It can be more than once a week, but if you're starting college, anything more than once a week might be a little strenuous. So start off small, maybe once a week, and that way you both have something to look forward to. That's one way. One of the things that I have found, what um, a patient shared with me, is that she and her daughter and her son, because they both went to college at the same time, uh, started writing letters. Just, she said it's the old-fashioned way. She said, but it was so wonderful to just be waiting uh, for those types of letters. It, it always encouraged me. I could look back on them later on. Um, some of days they were funny, some days they were sad, but I felt like I was still in their lives that way. So something as simple as that, just writing a note or card or a letter, um, that would be another way for you to keep that bond going on uh, while she's away at college. And then try to plan ahead of time uh, visits. You know, uh, when those little airlines do their their special rates, that's a good time to just maybe go ahead and I mean, book something for that time. If it happens and they're able to get away from school, great. Um, and if not, most of the airlines are pretty lenient about saving those uh, travel points for later on. So again, it's going to be based around your own preferences, your own likes, your own dislikes. And by your own, I mean collectively, your family. What is reasonable? What is going to be within the reality of both of the worlds that you are living in? So um, I, it's doable. I've seen uh, my patients have success in keeping those relationships going on. Just remember, not having communication is going to be stressful for both of you. So somehow negotiate what it is that's reasonable for both of you and try to carry out that plan. And actually, I'm going to ask also Ms. Smith if you could comment on the young adult program, that that would be helpful also. Excuse me, you said the young adult program? Yes. For someone who's oh, yeah. a young person at college and, you know, um, and as, a, and as a caregiver and um, wanting to be of help. Absolutely. Um, so just know that you're not alone. Um, you know, we here at Cancer Care do help so many uh, young adult caregivers, um, whether they're long distance or living in the same home as their loved ones. Um, so you are more than welcome to call our Hope Line um, to check out our resources. Um, if you are in New York and New Jersey, we do offer one-on-one -on -one and group counseling services to young adult caregivers. Um, and uh, please check out our latest workshops and resources that we're offering, especially for the holidays, because I know around this time it can kind of be a little tough. Um, you know, it's very family-oriented, and it could be especially hard for young adult caregivers we have so many workshops and resources available for your specific population uh, right now at Cancer Care. So please call us or we'll get our website, cancercare.org. Excellent. Thank you so much. And I just want to remind all of you that we have another um, triple negative breast cancer program on December 19th, updates from the 46th Annual San Antonio Breast Cancer Symposium on triple negative breast cancer. So. Um, You'll be getting more information about that, but just so that you know that's coming up. Now, before we conclude, I'm just going to ask all of our speakers 
um, if they would just provide a takeaway from today's program. So um, I'll start with Dr. Smith, and then uh, Ms. Kapoor, Kapoor Hinson, then Dr. Palos, and then Ms. Smith. So um, Dr. Smith, do you want to start first? Just a takeaway, sure. what you'd like people to take away. Certainly. Thank you, Dr. Mesner. Um, it's been uh, very enjoyable being a part of this excellent panel. And I would just like to say um, it's just important for caregivers to really care for yourselves. Just be aware. I mean, we see 40 percent uh, depression, 40 percent anxiety in patients who are caring for, for um, sick family members, predominantly caregivers 50% of the time are going to be family members. And so I think, I think the, the way to look at it is, um, you know, there are going to be challenges, but there are also going to be um, tremendous, I think, benefits to being a, a part of that person's life. I've had a patient of mine uh, with advanced incurable cancer telling me that this was the happiest they've ever been. They, they finally um, got engaged with their longtime, you know, partner, and, and it was a, a, something really beautiful came out of it. And so, um, you're, you know, there's going to be those highs, there are going to be those challenges. I think the important takeaway is make sure you have support, um, and certainly, um, you know, we, there's ample uh, resources, including um, TNBC Foundation, and of course, always double back to your care team, um, and they will likely be of assistance too. Um, but um, this is, um, again, I always emphasize patients with metastatic cancer. We live in a time now to where we look at this as a chronic condition. We have several lines of therapy we can use. We keep patients living, and that's the, that's the whole key, you know, being a thriver and living life with your cancer and, um, and making that team with your caregiver. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. Thanks. And Ms. Um, uh, uh, Kapoor Hinson. Hi. So um, I uh, was actually going to say something similar to Dr. Smith, um, but I will just um, echo what he said and also add, caregiving is a journey. It's going to have its ups and downs. You'll have good days. You'll have bad days. Um, it's important to know that this is all completely normal. Um, acknowledge your feelings. Accept them. Um, uh, uh, and um, make sure you get the support that you need for yourself and you're taking care of yourself so you can move forward. Um, and um, know that just because you have a setback doesn't mean that you can't um, have a good uh, day the next day. So don't let, um, uh, don't let um, a normal feeling or a normal, you know, um, uh, argument or a normal um, uh, feeling of frustration um, uh, hold you back um, from enjoying the time you have um, uh, with your loved one and making great memories moving forward. Thank you so much. Thank you. Um, and Dr. Palos. Uh, I would just want folks to remember the holidays are coming up. Uh, there's chaos anyway, uh, and families that aren't having the experience of uh, living with a loved one with cancer. So you're going to have chaos. It's going to be a norm, so accept that. There may be times when it feels like it's just getting too much. And I just would like to remind you that it's okay to focus on yourself as the caregiver. Uh, patients get it. They understand. They see what you're doing also. So they won't feel bad, so don't feel guilty. Really practice being kind to yourself, focusing on yourself, having patience with yourself, and then seeking sources of of support, whether it's of social support. Remember, your emotional wellness as well as your physical wellness is a key factor for your cancer journey that you're experiencing with your loved one. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Paulus. And um, Ms. Smith. Um, thank you. So I would just say that uh, long-distance uh, caregiving is a full-time job. Um, people may think that it's easier than short-distance caregiving, living with your loved one in the same household or even in the same neighborhood, but they're still both very uh, time-consuming and emotionally intense. So um, as Ms. Dr. Palos said, be kind to yourself. Um, remember that you're doing the best that you can. And um, if you feel isolated, anxious, or any of those types of feelings or symptoms, um, again, please call the TNBCS um, helpline or Cancer Cares Hopeline. There are social workers that are there to help. 
And, um, you know, as I mentioned um, in response to a previous question, um, we do have lots of workshops coming up for the holidays, one in particular, um, caregivers and patients coping um, during the holidays. So I really invite you to sign up for that free workshop. Um, and uh, with that, I'll turn it back to Dr. Messner. Oh, thank you so much. So I want to thank um, our speakers. You've been phenomenal. I want to thank our participants as well because you, um, the questions you asked really allowed our speakers to address some additional topics. And so it was a win-win situation. And although we've done this program before, I would say this, this was really, um, I have to say, the most, um, the, the best one we've ever done on this particular topic. So um, it'll be a hard act to follow in the future. <laughs> But you've been all great, and I just but I do want to comment. Um, we didn't, we weren't able to get to everyone's questions, so I want to say something about that. But those of you who asked a question, for those of you who have a question yet to ask, and for those of you who, you know, are in queue to ask a question, um, please know we would recommend that all of you take your questions back to your treating healthcare team. They know you the best. They have your medical records in front of them, and remember, your healthcare team consists of your medical oncologist. We all, all the oncologists on your team. They also consist of the oncology nurse, oncology social worker, patient navigator, financial navigator. Um, so there's a whole lot of people on that team who can help with questions or concerns you may have. You also, of course, have the resources of the Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation and Cancer Care. And we'll be sending you all that information in the SurveyMonkey evaluation that we're getting in a couple of days from us, probably early next week. Um, also, um, it is true that we are approaching the holidays. They're upon us. So that means that everybody on the call needs to be aware that this is a time of a lot of activity um, by everyone, people who are well, people who aren't well, people who have health problems, people who have triple negative breast cancer, metastatic disease. Be aware that everyone needs to be kind to themselves. It doesn't have to be the perfect holiday celebration. It could be that people will bring some potluck in, or you'll decide how best. You don't have to host it this year. You can have someone else do it, or someone else bring some of the things in. Um, so do the things that work best for you. So as we conclude the program today, I would not want any one of you to feel you're alone in coping with, as a caregiver, in coping with triple negative breast cancer, any type of cancer. I want you to now know that you're part of a community support, and you have the Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation and Cancer Care and many other organizations that we'll be sending information about. So I want to thank you all for your participation today, and I want to wish you all a very fine day. Thank you all. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for your participation. This concludes the workshop, and you may now disconnect. Everyone have a great day.